Welcome to the Laura Lumen Podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Conley. In case you don't know, the Laura Lumen Podcast is a podcast where we try to make a connection between philosophy and creativity in hopes to reawaken a sense of wonder that lives within us all. If you like what you hear and you want to find out more, you can visit us at lorelumen.com or become a member at patreon.com slash lorelumen if you're interested in getting early access to these episodes, product discounts from our store, and additional secret content only available to our Patreon members. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, everybody. So uh, today we have my lovely wife, Erin Conley, who, if you don't know, is a freelance watercolor illustrator. And we also have Kelsey Yandura, who is a freelance writer, author, and journalist. Um, So today we're going to be talking about villains. What makes a good villain? What are some good villain examples? And... What does it mean to have a good villain in a story and how that affects our lives in reality? Um, So starting off, I'm going to quote um, author of The Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown, um, because he has some really good things to say about the importance of making a good villain. Author Dan Brown says that the villain is who defines the hero and that nobody is heroic until they have to come against an obstacle because it is the hardship that makes the hero heroic. So with that in mind, let's talk about what makes a good villain. Thoughts? A super great outfit. A good outfit? (laughs) I love it. Every time. Well, I think it's easy to put the villain into the certain stereotype. Um, But as I've gotten older and read more nuanced books and more nuanced stories, realizing that the villains that I always found the most compelling were the ones that I related to the most. And also that um, you have empathy for. I feel like that's the most important thing in understanding a villain is realizing that the things that led them to that point of what we would consider to be evil are actually so understandable. Mm. If you were to approach this, the same sort of situations with the same set of tools. Um, so motivation, I feel like is a huge piece mm. of villainry. Mm-hmm. I love that. Aaron, how would you define a good villain? A good villain. Well, as a Slytherin, um, <laughs> <laughs> I really value my villains. I feel like they... I almost prefer to make my villain, uh, if I if I'm creating a villain at least, um, extraordinarily dynamic because it only encourages my hero to be more dynamic. Um, because I feel like oftentimes I get very bored with the hero. Um, I mean, yeah, people who just do good, boring, so boring, so boring, so boring. I don't necessarily want an anti-hero as far as to be my hero, main hero of the book. I feel as if an anti-hero is not as dynamic as a fascinating villain Hmm. and a fascinating nuanced hero. Interesting. Does that make sense? Like an anti-hero feels as if it's a cop-out sometimes. Really? Yeah. So I, I love, 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 love a good villain because it's almost as if they come off as an anti-hero until 
you realize the nuance of just how evil they are. Hmm. And that is one of my favorite things when it comes to any good story is just just how twisted the villain can be. Hmm. And what is the different turn that moves them from being the anti-hero to the villain? Interesting. And so that's what to me seems oh, very that's useful. The tragedy. Is like the potential for beauty and truth mm-hmm. and goodness and how it's just in that last bit of them is the turn. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's yeah. the issue. I think that's super interesting because I personally can relate to having some friends who kind of I've had that experience with them where I knew them at one phase of their life. And then throughout the years, as I continued a relationship with them, like most people do, they, as well as I went through different seasons, transformations. And then I felt that they would start making choices that I didn't feel like were in characteristic with the them I once knew, Mm -hmm. which is pretty common in relationships and friendships that last years. But the choices they were making, I felt like were unhealthy ones. And it almost is that kind of what you like about villains is that oh, I'm, I'm rooting for you. I'm already for you. I've decided that I am, I relate to this person. I like this person. I'm for this person. And then for them to not only betray you or your ideals, but more importantly, betray what you feel like is their own mm-hmm. ideals. It's like extra, like, uh, you hook line and sinkered me a little bit. And I can, I can, that's super interesting to consider like why you like villains sometimes and how that relates to like friendships I've had, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's almost like rather than it being a falling away from values, because I think that that to me just seems like boring failure. Um, oh, sure. It's more like a decisive action towards an opposite value. Yes, I agree. I feel like, honestly, the only difference between a villain and a hero is your perspective. Because from someone who has the same value system as a villain, the villain is going to look like the hero. And to someone who has the same value system as the hero, you're going to be rooting for the hero. And so as like a reader, like if it's a book, if you're reading a book um, about a hero and a villain... Of course, you're going to empathize with whoever the author decides is the hero. Yeah. Because um, that author's set of values has clearly communicated, like, this is the good guy. This is the guy you should be rooting for. This is the guy who's against him, and therefore he is the evil character. But, I mean, really, I feel like a deep dive into the discussion of a hero and a villain is going to involve... What is your perspective? What is your actual set of values? And what is the perspective with which you're approaching the situation of a clash of opposite points of view? Um, Because ultimately, unless you have like a really rigid fixed set of right and wrong, it's going to be like just which set of values lines up with yours the best. Which is honestly kind of annoying because I feel like when you read a book that really clearly sets up this is a hero and this is a villain. If you kind of like don't agree with the hero's point of view and the hero's value system, you still can't help but really want to root for the hero because mm-hmm. you're being told his story. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I like, I don't, yeah. I I don't even agree with what you're saying, but yet I really want you to win, which is why if you do the work as a storyteller of telling the villain's story really well, you're going to end up with a really conflicted reader or viewer. Okay, so if... If a good villain 
is necessary for any hero to truly become heroic. Mm -hmm. And if it's true that you need a good villain to have a good hero, and if we are our own protagonists, Mm -hmm. then what is your villain in the story of you in reality? And how important is it, even as Dan Brown mentions, to better understand what your villain is for our own narrative? So, like, let's talk about what we think our villains might be. For me, I know as someone who values creativity and be able to express the the truth that I've come to experience in my life and be able to express love via aesthetics and via form and storytelling, like, the biggest villain for me would be a very sterile, efficient document you know (laughs) it might look like um uh something that communicates information for its own sake as opposed to taking the long way around and playing with emotions and not taking efficient shortcuts but rather taking your time and exploring the the roller coaster ride of what it is to be a human and how we can relate to like the challenges of any protagonist we create, I think that would be my villain. The thing that eliminates the need to journey and explore and experiment. What do y'all feel like would be y'all's villains? I feel like this is such a difficult question. I feel like I I have an answer that I'm not willing to hang my hat on, but I'll go for it. Yeah. Um, The first thing that came to mind was like the machine of productivity. Mm. I say the machine of productivity because I feel like our society so much values like getting things done and being really efficient. I mean, you said even efficiency in yours and kind of like going at this really fast pace in order to check things off of a list. Um, And to me, that's kind of the antithesis of the way that I want to live my life. And it's kind of the, the grind that doesn't allow space and um, priority on things that I find to be so important, like like quiet and contemplation and wisdom and things that have no relative like value for output. Um, there's no peace there for me. There's no space. Um, but I also think it's interesting that we've talked about how a hero and a villain are trying to just approach things from different angles because ultimately like one of my, a friend asked me earlier this year, like what does success look like to you? And I said, it looks like finishing something. So to me, success looks like actually getting something done, which is kind of the definition of productivity. (laughs) But the way that I've seen it done for so long is so stifling to me that the productivity that I I want to achieve looks so different um, than the spirit of that sort of panicky productivity. Um, But I find that really interesting that that's the first thing I thought of. And then considering my definition of success, it's actually something that I'm also going for. (laughs) Yeah, certainly. So Aaron, what do you think your villain would look like? So I was thinking about this and I've had a pretty consistent uh, picture of villainage, which I don't know if it's a word or not. We can make it a word. Make it a word. Um, Throughout my life. And it is a sort of dulling of senses. It's a... 
For instance, whenever I first was severely depressed before I had any sort of medication or help, it was um, this inability to do anything almost at all. I would just journal the same thoughts over and over and over and over again. And that circular thinking plus inability, inertia, the inertia of it was destabilizing. And, um, and I mean, even destabilization would have been great because then it would be an ability to start moving somewhere, you know, but mm-hmm. it was just, I wouldn't even move anywhere. I would just stay in the same rut. And so I feel as if my villain is this thing that causes me to almost be half awake and unable to move. Um, and it, and so as opposed to being a villain that has my same desire, it's almost like a villain that seeks to protect me um, from outside sources by not allowing me to move. And it is a villain to me because I very much desire to move and love dynamic story and life and beauty and um, and lethargy is something I very much dislike. So maybe our way of like uh, trying to understand the villain is really to make him or her less frightening. So we're not afraid of them, we empathize with them. But the real, true, scary villain is one who we actually don't understand. Yeah, is the one that, or that I can get, but that I a thousand percent disagree with. Like that feels as if, wow, you are entirely opposed to my systems, Mm -hmm. even though you believe you're entirely for me. Well, yeah, but it's scary, right? Yeah. Like that there's fear there, whereas there's not as much fear. There's just fascination with someone who wants something that you want from a different angle. Totally. Because originally that's what a villain was meant to do, right? Was to like scare you into changing your mind or like into doing something that you didn't want to do or, you know, you have to clean your room or the under the bed monster is going to come get you who wants your room clean, even though you don't want your room clean. Totally. Um, And so in some ways our like rational way of dealing with villains has been to understand them, which I think is a beautiful, wonderful way of doing storytelling. It's like the way I prefer. But if you really want to instill fear into an audience or into whoever is hearing your story. It's create a villain who you don't get and who makes, who's so different from you that it makes no sense why they would be acting the way that they're acting. And I wonder how that plays out in reality in in the context of you being your own protagonist. What makes your villain most frightening? And what is the thing that anyone could become that would be your biggest Like, what would be the biggest thing that would cancel you out, you know? It reminds me a bit of of chaos and order. You know, it's that there has to be something we learn from our villain to almost balance ourselves. But if we take too much of our villain and we choose them over us, it cancels us out almost. And what I was thinking about whenever I was sharing that um, is how I've been learning so much about IFS which is internal family systems, uh, which teaches about the various parts of yourself and how there's a true self and then there's all of these parts of you. 
and how so many people who deal with their parts are dealing with very protective parts of yourself that are trying to make sure that you're safe and how I am just learning how to interact with those parts and so much of the things that are my villain are these protective things that are just trying to make sure that I don't get hurt and um, and how my true self very much disagrees with them and so so much of my learning how to deal with my internal family system is to learn to understand them empathize them be curious about them like be creative with how to deal with them and how to love them and uh, yeah it's a, it's a really it's a huge learning process it's like learning how to understand my villain so the question we'll leave you with today is if you are your own protagonist in your own story, what does your villain look like and how that affects your day to day? Thanks for listening.